So as we look to the word, would you uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 7 through 14. Today is the first Sunday of the month, which means that it is, uh, we celebrate the Lord's table um, communion, and, uh, um, and we will transition into that uh, right at the end of this time around the scriptures, uh, but just to kind of remind you of that. But as we look to the scriptures, we have been preaching through Ephesians chapter 5, and we get to this portion of Ephesians, um, chapter 5, verses 7 through 14, that speaks of the idea of being children of light. I mean, that's why it's called walk as children of light. And just so that we understand, like when we talk about the light, right, children of the light, I I think uh, our worship team, I think our pastor David right, kind of emphasize correctly that the light is about the visible glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The light is the light that comes from God. And I'll remind you of something that I think is precious for us as kind of the building block of, uh, of what is uh, what the idea of children of light, um, where that springs from or the foundation of such a statement. And at the foundation of it all is Jesus Christ in John 8, 12, saying that I am the light of the world. Do you guys recall that? Well, it's one of the seven great I am statements of the gospel of John. I am the light of the world. And, uh, and I'm sure it's a cherished idea. But let me describe to you the occasion in which he says this. In fact, let me read to you one of my favorite preachers, R. Kent Hughes, his description of that because I probably can't do this better. He says, Jesus spoke these words at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles on the day after the spectacular nighttime ceremony known as the illumination of the temple. That event took place in the temple treasury before four massive golden candelabra topped with huge torches. The candelabra were as tall as the highest walls of the temple. So imagine candelabra reaching almost to the ceiling, right? That's, that's how big they were. It took uh, 65 liters of oil to get all the, the, you know, the, the flame parts uh, to have enough oil to burn that. And then they would, they would set these aflame on this illumination of the temple, the last night of the Feast of the Tabernacles, right? And according to the Mishnah, um, the Jewish writings, it said, men of piety and good works used to dance before the burning torches, right, with, these, with other burning torches in hand, right, with the background of these huge candelabra in, in the temple grounds. And they would be singing songs and praise, and countless Levites played on harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, instruments, and music. It was a huge worship celebration with all of the lights, right? All of the evening, if you were on the hill, right? If you were on uh, uh, the Mount of Olives looking over Jerusalem, I think you would see all of Jerusalem kind of lit up. It was this spectacular nighttime light show. It, it, it It was intentionally done with the perspective that they're celebrating God, their light, but in this particular way. Do you remember in the Old Testament, right, in the, in the wanderings, in the book of Exodus, that God went before the nation of Israel as, as, a, as a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night? It was a celebration that Yahweh was their light. 
And so imagine all of that, and all of that partying, everything kind of settles down, and everything's good. The next morning, Jesus gets up in the same temple treasury area. He gathers in front of the crowd. He lifts up his voice, and he says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine what that backdrop of the night before, right? Maybe some of the, the oily char still on, right, on different things around the temple, right? The remains of torches still on the ground, some ashes scattered here and there. To, to celebrate God, their deliverer in the Old Testament, right? The Shekinah glory, his glory displayed in light. And then for Jesus, the Son of God, to stand there and tell the crowd, I am the light of the world. That's not a mistake. That's the genius of our Savior declaring something about himself. That he is the light of God, the glory of the Heavenly Father. He is the Shekinah glory of Yahweh in the Old Testament. And everything that the world has been looking for can be found in him. See, it's so important for us to understand that. That, that foundational statement that Jesus is the light of the world. He declares himself as light of the world because what we're about to embark on is, I think, a strong injunction for us to walk as children of light. And when I say us, I mean those that call upon Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. If you call yourself a Christian, if you claim that you have understood your sinfulness and have turned by faith to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are, by definition, children of light. And it is incumbent upon the children of light to best represent him who has died so that we might share his light. We might be his light to the world. Well, let me, let me read us our passage in particular. We'll pray and then we'll try to unpack this. But Ephesians 5, starting in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your scriptures this morning we thank you that as we think about what it means that Jesus Christ is the light of the world it reminds us that we were darkness but that we have the hope of forgiveness of cleansed consciences so that we could know that that is the past and gone that you count it not against us but instead that we might know not just forgiveness not just a pardon but we might be children of this heavenly Father whose glory is unapproachable, whose holiness is unimaginable, whose light shines in such a way that should be so beyond us, but we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and adopted into his household. 
So help us to live as children of the light. Lord, we pray for every Christian that is here that they might examine their lives carefully and they might expose in the light, Lord, all things that might be hindering them from growing in the delight and the pleasure of our Savior. Pray for those that are struggling with faith or uncertain of faith that you might reveal to them not just the necessity but the joy of coming to faith in Christ and following him. We praise you for all the grace that you bestow upon us. We praise you even for the scriptures as they give us light to understand these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is kind of where we're going in terms of the breakdown of this passage. The children of the light and the instructions that are given to them. The purpose of the light. In other words, um, what is the fruit and the ambition of being children of light or walking in the light, and then the victory of the light. And that's that, that's that interesting, right, um, um, uh, poetic, right? If you look at your scriptures, it's, it's set aside as kind of a poem or a poem or song that seems to call us out to awake, right, and to, um, and to, and to allow Christ to shine upon us. So we start with uh, the first point, the children of light in verses 7 and 8. Well, look at verse 7. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. The idea of do not become partners with them is clearly a command. And the immediate thing that we should ask ourselves is, who are them? And, and they are the individuals that are mentioned a few verses earlier, right? If you look up uh, to verse 5, it says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The them are the sons of disobedience, those that are involved in sin. And a couple of categories there, right, were sexual sin, but it wasn't exclusively that. It was any form of idolatry where their experience their desire, their ambitions, right? Whatever was self-focused, when they self-deify, when we self-deify and our desires are greater than God's desires for us, that's a form of idolatry. And, and, and Paul here is saying, as children of life, don't become partners with that darkness. Don't become partners with them. It's not just an association that he is he is declaring that we need to cut off. This isn't separate yourself from the entire world. In fact, in other places, like in 1 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says that even as you separate yourself from the sexually immoral, he's saying not the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So he is not saying that you separate yourself from every sinner that is around you. Instead, he's saying in particular, there needs to be separation from those that call themselves Christians. And participate in such darkness. Right? He is saying, do not become partakers. It's the same term that is used uh, earlier in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. For joint heirs, fellow partakers, Jews and Gentiles in the church. So it's talking about associating with some, partnering together with them for the sake of participating in acts of darkness. You know, 2 Corinthians 6, we know that passage well. Paul talks about the same thing. What fellowship does light have with darkness, right? How can you worship God and then worship Belial? How can you worship, 
you know, that which is excellent and good and worship that which is sinful and wrong. That's his whole point. And he says this according to the first part of verse 8, right? Don't partner with darkness because verse 8, for at one time you were darkness. Now I want you to catch the intensity of this. He doesn't say at one time you used to dabble in darkness. Remember at some one time like you used to kind of, you know, hang out in the darkness a little bit more than not. No, he says, you were darkness. And it's essential. It's an essential issue. It's an identity issue. It's a character. It's a completely you issue. In other words, what are you? You were darkness. And when he says this, he means every Christian. Because Christian, you, me, we're all of us, right? We were darkness, Now, we were, you know, kind of occasionally prone to darkness. No, we were darkness. That's what we were. That's what we were by instinct, by nature, right? That's what we kind of drift towards if nothing else is available to us. That's where our minds, our hearts, we are saturated with a self-idolatry to fulfill the desires of our flesh because that's all we know. That's the instinct of our being because that is our nature. You were darkness. So if you were darkness, and the were is so important, right? If that's what you once were, then for Christians to be participants in the darkness now, Paul is saying, dude, don't participate with them because that's what you once were. Don't crawl back to being what the Lord has has rescued you from. Instead, right, the second part of verse 8, walk as children of light. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So now we are light in the Lord. Jesus, we, we said in John, had said, had declared himself uh, to be the light of the world. Then in Matthew 5.14, he says this to his disciples, just on the heels of the Beatitudes, talking about what it means right, to be kingdom citizens. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Same statement, right? Or the same intensity. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Not you, again, not that you kind of dabble in the light, or that you put on light occasionally, but that this is what you are essentially. You are light. And particularly, you are the light of Christ. I love how Donald Gray Barnhouse illustrates this. I like how he illustrates a lot of things. He's so clever, right? But he says that if, if Jesus is the sun, our sun outside, you know, shining, hidden in the clouds today, which is all right, right? But if Jesus is the sun then his light is the most intense light that we might know. Well, what is the moon? You guys know, hopefully you know, right? The moon doesn't 
have its own light. The moon doesn't like, like rocks don't just glow, right? What do they do? They, the moon literally reflects the light of the sun from the other side of, you know, positionally from where we're standing, the other side of the earth. So it's dark now, or the sun is setting, or the sun has set, but the reflection of sunlight on the moon receives what Scripture calls the lesser light. The light source is still the sun, but the moon reflects that glory. And so in that same way, I think that's a good illustration of what we're talking about. We are to walk as children of light because we represent the light of Christ. We are the the light shines through us, right, or reflects from us maybe, but it is certainly the light of Christ. And it is our responsibility to represent that light well. Matthew 13, 43, Jesus says this, then, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. There's a time when we will shine without flaw, right? Without sin, without failing. We will shine like the glory of the sun eternally and perfectly and completely. And it'll be that day in the kingdom when everything is perfect when we ourselves are fully sanctified, when we are perfected in the things of the Lord. The glory of Christ shining through us will be part of our eternal nature. I like how C.S. Lewis says it. He says this, Nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and the nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, we are summoned to pass in through nature beyond her to the splendor which she fitfully reflects. Everything that is wondrous about all of creation is a mere reflection of the greatness of the light of the creator. And we are children of his light. If we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, then, then we have an obligation to walk in a way that honors that light. See, we move from kind of the indicative, the, the, the statements, that we are light in the Lord, to the command. So then walk as children of light. Christian, you are the light of Christ. You represent his glory, his truth, his majesty, his grace. You reflect his quality, which means that his light is to be lived out and shined through your transformed life. So this is a command that makes sense in every way possible because of who we are in Christ. We are the children of light. And so if we are the children of light, then we shouldn't be partnering with the darkness and we should be walking, living. Remember, walking is just a simple statement of saying how you get from point A to point B. It is the manner of your life. You're living. It's your lifestyle. Our lives, our lifestyle as Christians ought to be reflecting the light of Christ because we are the children of his light. Well, that's point one. That's where the command comes from in terms of the children of light. Point two, well, what is the purpose, right? What what are we trying to do if we're trying to walk in the light? Verse nine. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So, First, the fruit of walking in the light. In other words, what should we see as fruit, as manifestations of light in our lives? And it is everything that is good, right, and true. 
three kind of graces that should, uh, that should be easily found if light, if we're walking in the ethics of, of, of being children of light. Goodness is that general term. It's as diverse. The, the Greek term is as diverse as, as our English. Um, from anything from it is just, oh, this is good versus evil. This is good versus, you know, um, not very tasty. This is good versus that was a junky film. Like we use good in so many different ways. But here is probably talking about goodness in its generosity, benevolence. It's, it's, it's kind of good in that it is good for people, right? The term righteous, righteousness, um, it again is tied in directly with who God is in terms of the light. And it probably means something along the lines of that which is righteous in the sense that it is upright, it is just, it is appropriate, right, to the holiness of God. So goodness, righteousness, and the third one is truth. In truth, I, I was trying to think, like, what's a good definition for truth? And then, and then I would look up, like, Miriam's, you know, like as I would do. Like, what's a good definition for truth? Truth is anything that has, like, truthful, like, elements or something weird like that. And it's like, dude, you can't use the same term, right, in a different way for the definition. The idea is that something that is so sincerely accurate and real, I think that's the way to think about it. That it is the antithesis of falsehood of any type. It's the opposite of deceit. Whether we're talking about spoken lies, flattery, speech, right, silence of some of the facts, right? All deceptions, all of that. That's the opposite of what this word means. So if you combine those, then the fruit of the light, what we should be seeing in the lives of those that are children of light is, is goodness, benevolence, right? Kindness, graciousness, righteousness, right? They, they are just, they're moral, they're upright. Truth. That they stand on conviction of what Scripture says. If God says it, then that settles this. Right? There is an authority of Scripture in their lives. Goodness, righteousness, truth. That should be exuded right, as part of the manifestation, the fruit that comes out of the life of children walking in the light. This is what walking in the, look, uh, walking in the light looks like in Ephesians if we just take those three terms. Good, righteous, good, right, and true. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's goodness, right? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are to walk in benevolence, in goodness towards other people. Ephesians 4, 24. We are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So their righteousness is clearly part of a moral accountability and doing what is right in the eyes of our holy God. So we have good Right, good works. We have righteousness connected with holiness. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So there it's, we speak truth. We don't speak flattery. We don't speak kind of deceptive or good salesman pitching. Right? No snake oil selling here. Right? We just speak truth, but we speak it in love. And then similarly, Ephesians 4.25, I won't read that. Speak the truth with your neighbor because you're members of one another. And that the truth is in Jesus, Ephesians 4.21. All of that tells us that this is the characteristic. This is the fruit of what it looks like if you are walking in the light. If you're wondering, hey, am, am, I, am I walking in the light of Jesus Christ? Well, here's the test, right? 
Is there goodness in the way that you connect with some? Is there truthfulness in the way that you, you know, that you pursue things or in the way that you communicate things? Is there righteousness in that you're standing before the Lord and you're standing before others, right? You try to do what is, what is good and excellent according to the word of the Lord. See, some often emphasize what is good and benevolent at the sacrifice of the truth, right? There are Christian denominations that do that. They're like, hey, is that a loving thing for you to exercise church discipline? Is that a loving thing for you to condemn certain lifestyles? Is that a loving thing that you, right? Like, like we, we, should, we should demonstrate goodness. And we'd agree with that. We should demonstrate goodness. That's part of the fruit of the light. But not at the expense of truth. Others, right, um, still, you know, claiming the name of Christ, would emphasize righteousness, right? Like how you live, what you separate from, what you do and what you can't do. Or perhaps they'll emphasize truth. This is what it says. That's all it is, right? And that's the most important thing. But at the sacrifice, right, you could center on righteousness or truth or both at the sacrifice of goodness, a term that means benevolence. This suggests that there is an exuding of that which is kind and benevolent and gracious. Okay, you could become legalistic. And demand you do this, you don't wear this, you actually do this, and you watch what you say about this, right? And you could do it in a spirit that is not about walking in the light, but sounds more like walking in your light. And again, I think that emphasis is losing something in this list. It is to be goodness, righteousness, and truth, all of it, together, that demonstrates gospel light. We never compromise the truth of the gospel. But we speak about people's sins with graciousness because I would be the same. I'm not that different, right, if it were not for the grace of God. We were darkness, all of us. So we don't just stand up on, on, you know, on a soapbox and rail against the darkness. We do rail against the darkness in prayer, in a truthfulness, in understanding what God says about it, in standing on that conviction. But we do it with a gracious and loving spirit. And that's why it come we speak truth in love. Well, enough of that, right? The fruit of walking in the light is verse 9. Verse 10 then, if there is the fruit, this is what manifests out of walking in the light, then this is the ambition, this is the aim, right? Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Children of light are trying to please their heavenly Father. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, our ESV translation says, and try to discern. In that phrase, try to discern, is trying to capture really just one word that means to discern, right? Um, and discern is an interesting thing. The way that it sounds, I think, in our English, almost sounds like, hey, try to discern this. It almost sounds like a mystery you're trying to kind of figure out, right? It's like that mystery novel, like, man, who done this, Right? Who's the guy? It was Mr. Mustard with the something in the whatever, right? Colonel Mustard, right? Whatever it is, right? They were trying to figure something out. But there's another way to understand this, this term that is translated, try to discern. Discern, this verb is often used and is more likely used in the sense of proving something by testing. It, it means to use your faculties, to examine it, to think about it, etc., so the idea is not so much try to figure out whatever it is that pleases the Lord. Who knows? You know, check every room, 
Look under, you know, look in every cupboard, right? Under every chair, right? That's not the point. The point is discern, try to discern, use your mind to approve, to test out. Use your mental faculties to think through as you study the scriptures. What pleases our Lord? What brings him delight? Romans 12, 2 says a similar thing. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, see, just after saying your mind has been renewed, transformed, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Christian, you realize on the one hand, right, there is a sense that walking in the light produces these wonderful qualities, these qualities of goodness and righteousness and truth. But on the other hand, in terms of our ambitions, our aim, our goals, our purpose, right? The purpose of walking in the light is so that we might bring pleasure to our God who has saved us. What is pleasing to the Lord? The simple test that we should be asking ourselves regularly, right? When we're not sure what we should do, the question is, what would most please my Savior Jesus Christ? When you're trying to decide, you know, should I take this job? Should I study this thing? Should I pursue a relationship with this person? The question to be asking is, what would best please my Savior Jesus Christ? And sometimes the answer is, well, these two options, right? They're both pretty good. But I think there's freedom for you to make a decision, right? Believing that both of these are acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. But the pleasure of the Lord is not just about making a decision. It's about how you make that decision and why you make that decision and how you follow through in that decision. It's not just a decision about should I date him or should I date him, right? It starts there, decision making, which would better please the Lord. But then after that, it's like, okay, so then how do I conduct myself in that relationship? It has to bring pleasure to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord and his pleasure is all that we exist for, right? The opposite would be that I exist for my own pleasure. And there's a term that we have already addressed for that. It's called idolatry, self-deification, self-worship. Feed me. I need to consume. I need to be pleased. I need to be satiated. It's all about me, myself, and I. That's your holy trinity. Or... You have been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ to belong to God. And what is pleasing to the Lord is the most significant thing that is the ambition of your life. Is there anything, Christian, that clings to your life that is of the darkness? Turn aside. Don't partner with those things. Walk as children of light. Is there something that is preventing you from displaying the full fruit of the light, that which is good, which is right, what is true. Put that aside. Figure out what's wrong, right? Discern what would be pleasing to the Lord in terms of you, in terms of what you pursue, in terms of what you love, in terms of what you are to live for. Truth and transformation bring glory to God in his people and in his church. And the singular question that should be the test of how we live in this life is simply, what would please my Lord, my Savior, my God? Not what do I want, what do I need, 
but what is the Lord pleased to see in you? Our third point. We talked about being children of light, talked about the purpose of walking in the light, that there is this fruit, right? That there's this ambition. And then now we talk about the victory that comes in walking in the light. You'll get verse 11 and 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Okay, now, now it's getting practical and it's getting a little uncomfortable, right? He said, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. I mean, he has said something to that effect already. But an interesting way that he says this, right? It's a term that is used for koinonia, that fellowship. You guys are familiar with that? One of those Christian, you know, Greek Christian terms that we like to throw around. Koinonia means fellowship, partnership. Don't partners, right? Kind of group koinonia, fellowship, with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Now, the present tense imperative with the negative particle may suggest that it's even not just the, you know, don't do this, but it might mean that you are to stop this, that there are some that might be currently participating in such things, that they are partnered together with the works of darkness. It's the exact opposite of the fruit of, of light, right? This, the, the non-fruit, right, the unfruitful works is characteristic of darkness. Whatever comes out of darkness is unfruitful. It means that it is, it is vanity, it's pointless, it's purposeless. It is chasing the wind. It, it is not lasting. And in contrast to that, there is a manifestation of genuine stuff, of goodness, right, of, of righteousness, of truthfulness that comes out from the fruit of the light. The fruit of darkness is not fruit. It's unfruitful. Right? It, does not, it accomplishes nothing. And instead of participating in that, or maybe even you know, stop participating in that, but instead expose them. Expose such works of darkness. I think by exposing them, right, the idea is that we call sin, sin. We bring to light what is the opposite of God's goodness, righteousness, and truth from verse 9. We, we are trying to bring the light of truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God himself upon those things that are the works of darkness. We are to expose them. And verse 12 tells us why. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. The, the things that we're trying to expose are so shameful. Paul, in, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he won't even list them here. He's saying, we, you know, it... it, it yeah, it degrades our speaking together for me to list such sins. We know that such sins are common in, uh, in a place like Ephesus, right? Where uh, the goddess Artemis was well-worshipped. That's what Ephesus is most known for in terms of the history of the world. Uh, for the, the temple to Artemis, um, temple prostitution was involved with that, right? All kinds of weird stuff was involved with that. They were pagans through and through. And you can imagine that even in Ephesians, right, a letter written to Jews and Gentiles as they are now one new humanity in Christ in the church, there are many who have come from exactly that background. There are many that are well known. It's like St. Augustine who said that he was well known in every whorehouse along the shores of the Mediterranean before he became a Christian. It's a crazy thing to admit 
And a crazy thing for, for us to kind of think about, but our background is not the same, nor should we expect that it should be. You don't have to have grown up in a Christian family, right? Been baptized at a young age to become a member of this church. Now, you just have to believe in Jesus Christ and his victory over sin because you placed your faith in him. That's it. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter what kind of junk you were into. That's you when you were darkness. After the gospel light, this is you as a child of God, as a child of light. Now you are light. Light exposes darkness. Don't participate in those things because it doesn't make sense. You're children of light. So I think this is all talking to the Christian church and it's saying instead expose them because it's shameful even to speak about those things that are done in secret, but expose them. Now let, let me say something cautionary right? as we talk about the idea of exposing the fruit of darkness. What does that look like? I think we have to be very careful here because it doesn't look like a witch hunt. It doesn't look like us just kind of bashing on human beings, right, because of their darkness and their unrighteousness. It doesn't look like us aggressively kind of demanding upon other human beings that they kind of right the ship on their own. It looks like the gospel of God, the glory of our Savior, the wonder of the Shekinah glory shining his truthfulness on whatever issue that we're dealing with. We need to proceed with caution because anytime we say something like, hey, you need to expose the darkness, right? Depending on how you are constructed, you, you might feel like, okay, let's go in the streets. Let's start picketing right now, right? I, I know some people living in darkness right now. I'm going to call them up right now and I'm going to give them an earful, right? But instead, we need to be mindful of the methodology that our Savior has given to us. Matthew 7, Jesus says very clearly, judge not that you not be judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You guys are familiar with that passage, and it's an excellent one. But I think it reminds us that we always begin with ourselves. Right? Hey, you got a, you got a speck there. Tung. Sorry, sorry, my, my log just hit your head. Let me get that tongue, right? Like, you, you need to remove this, right? And it uses, like, the term that means rafter. So one of these huge pieces of wood that goes across, you know, to hold up the roof. Like, that is sticking out your eye, and you're worried about the splinter. I don't even know how you see the splinter in that dude's eye, right? You need to take care of yourself. You need to begin with yourself. I need to begin with myself. And what that means is not that you don't speak. No, Jesus says clearly, take out your log and then you can help your brother. You, you understand that path. You understand something about that struggle. You, you have a struggle, a sin struggle that you've had for years and you are struggling over it and you've, you know, you've had good times about it, but you're overcoming that. Can you imagine the, the, the help that that can be to a fellow brother or sister they're struggling similarly. That's the idea. You have had a big issue. And if the Lord has begraced you to overcome that, then man, in humility, with kindness, you have the capacity to be helpful to others. But you begin with yourselves. We walk with humility and graciousness. Think of uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
You who are spiritual, are you spiritual? Well, then you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear with one another burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There is, if we read the scriptures well, I think we, we don't back off from trying to expose light. That's literally what Jesus, well, I mean, what Paul is saying here, that we are to expose the light. But as we do that, as light, right, as the darkness is exposed, the deeds of darkness are exposed by the light, we do so with love, with graciousness, with kindness, with an honest humility that says that, man, that, that's not that different from what I am co- capable of doing. I am not better than anyone. I was darkness. And our darkness and the deeds and the fruit of darkness might look a little different than that other person that is darkness. But we are darkness until the light of Christ has shined upon us, until the gospel of God's glory has awakened us right, and made us understand. So light exposes darkness. I want you to see something, which I appreciate. All right, verses 11 and 12 is saying, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So there's a command. We are trying to expose the darkness. And then verse, verses 13 and 14 tells us that when we expose it, it becomes visible. And when it becomes visible, it becomes light. It's kind of weird. Look at verse 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Okay, that makes sense, right? Using, you know, phenomenological terminology, right? Like, like light shines in the dark. We can see stuff. It's exposed. It's visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. That doesn't make sense, right? So it's like you shine the light on that piano, and now I see the piano, and all of a sudden the piano becomes light. Is that what it's saying? Right? It's kind of strange. And then this kind of almost cryptic, right? passage that goes on to say, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And this is what I think this is trying to say as we unpack this. Not only are we to expose darkness with light, but light also supplants darkness. It replaces darkness. It is a clear truth that when a room is dark and the light turns on, right? The darkness turns out to be an absence of light because the light fills out the room. It exposes what is actually there. So there's exposure, right? But that's verse 13. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Everything that is exposed will be visible. We will see it for what it is. Is, this is the Galatians 6, 6 through 9. Let, let the one who has taught the word share all good things, etc. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he, all, he will also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to his spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. See, God is not deceived. He's not mocked. You don't pull one over on him. No one gets away with anything. The light will expose every sin and sinful deed. It all will become visible because the light of God, his glory, is such that it knows all truth. It has all goodness. It knows all righteousness. It is, its capacity is endless and infinite. And so God knows. And so if God says, okay, that's darkness, then that's darkness. And if he exposes it, even if it's not exposed yet, 
it will eventually be exposed. No one gets away with anything. Do you understand that? That God is the light and that he is, he is the foundational existence on which everything else that exists depends means that there is no reality apart from him. So light will expose the darkness. That's a truth. And everything will become visible. That's a fact. Just because it's not visible now doesn't mean you're getting away with something. It doesn't mean that I'm getting away with anything. Right? It will all become visible. That's what light does. It exposes the darkness. But how about the second part? Verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. This is an interesting thing because I think the idea here is not exposing for visibility, but that the light exposes something unto transformation. That which becomes visible can become light. It's like you can get caught in your trespasses and sins and then be transformed into a bearer, a reflector of the light of the sun. J.B. Phillips um, you know, he has a New Testament translation that's kind of like a paraphrase. And in that, in the first part of 14, he says, he translates it this way, right? It is even possible, after all it happened to you, for light to turn the thing it shines upon into light also. I think he captures the idea of what is being stated here in the first part of verse 14. Anything that becomes visible is light, meaning that God can shine the light on sin expose it so that it is visible and clear that it is sin and he can transform from that sinfulness so that 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 individual can actually bear the light of Jesus Christ. That makes such sense to me because then it explains why, you know, this this interesting kind of poem or lyrics in uh, the second part of verse 14 kind of builds upon that argument. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You get it? This is perhaps a free adaptation, a kind of unusual adaptation of a passage from Isaiah 61, but more likely, I think, it was something of of a baptismal hymn. That's what a lot of scholars think, and it makes sense because the idea, right, is that they would sing this, or maybe they would recite this, right, as the individual is, goes underwater to represent his death right, to himself and sin, his death to the darkness that he is, and then his rising to new life in Christ, his rising to the light of, of, of who Jesus Christ is, the light of the world. So if that is that hymn, then it makes perfect sense for Paul to put this here, because he is saying, look, the victory of the light is what the Christian stands for. It is our very testimony. If you are a Christian and you've been baptized, right? On the profession of your faith. What you have been baptized in terms of what that symbolizes in your life is that you are dead to your old self, right? The darkness, that you were darkness, but that is dead because you have died in Christ. And now you are risen into the light and the life that is Jesus Christ. So awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You get it? Christian, if you're participating in the deeds of darkness... Know that that will be exposed. But know that you are also welcome to take that to the Lord in confession. That you, you, that you have the capacity, right, 
to look to the Lord and find that all dark things can be killed by the light and be transformed by this light so that Christ can shine on us and through us and we can become his light. There's victory in the light of Jesus Christ. So expose the darkness. Supplant the darkness. Earlier in Ephesians 5, believers are told that those who habitually practice um, fleshly sins cannot inherit the kingdom of God and Christ, but instead will be recipients of God's wrath. An exposure of such sins right, can be at the judgment seat, or exposure of such sins in the light can happen today. So that those that expose such sins can be led back to walking in the light in goodness, righteousness, and truth to the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. This is what it means to awaken. This is why the hymn kind of fits what Paul has been saying. Wake up, Christian. Wake up. If you live and act and love just like the rest of the world, then wake up. Wake up to the testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ, that you have abandoned the darkness and you desire to live in the light. Wake up and remember that and live. Live in the light. Live as children of the light. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for the reminder that you are the light of the world. And as our light, Lord, you give us Lord, opportunity to cast out the darkness, to stop being darkness, and to be recipients of your light of grace. Lord, I pray for those that are here that you would encourage them to remember, to be reminded of what it means um, to know our own sin and our failings and to believe in our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for those that aren't certain about where they stand with the Lord, that they would be more than curious, that they would pursue this as if their entire being depended upon them because their entire existence does depend upon this. Oh, may the gospel light come to those that are in darkness today. And may you be gracious to us. Help us to walk as emissaries of you, of your grace, of your truth, of your righteousness of everything that is good and excellent about living for the living God. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.